0: Oh, well, it is that time of the year when we have the privilege of just reflecting and remembering. And uh, although perhaps for most of us in the room, it is an old, old story, it is a story that still speaks uh, so freshly and so powerfully, and it reminds us of, of the greatest gift of all, of the gift of Jesus Christ. What a what a wonderful time of the year it is. And I want to take you this morning back to a very familiar passage, Matthew chapter 2 to those first 12 verses that uh, give us a, a little glimpse of those events that followed right after the uh, birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Let me just read that and I invite you to follow along, and we just want to jump in that way this morning. Chapter two of Matthew's Gospel. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to these moments and these familiar words, and we ask you to speak to us anew and afresh. Lord, take that which is familiar. And quicken it to our hearts in a new way. Remind us of those things that are foundational. And those things that you're calling us to as we walk through this season of the year. Father, even as those magi came to worship, Lord, help us, even as we give attention to your word, to worship you today. And Father, that is our prayer as we gather in Christ Jesus' name. Amen you know, we all have Christmas traditions. My um, guess is your family had certain ways of, of maybe observing uh, Christmas. And and for most of us, we know how to do it kind of in our culture, right? In our cultural setting. And maybe you had certain things you did at Christmas Eve, and this is the way that Christmas Day and Christmas morning went, and all of those sort of things. But sometimes what we can falsely assume is that our traditions are everybody's traditions, right? And in fact, it's if, if, you, uh, if you grew up in Spain, for instance, if you were Spanish, uh, you would have not given a whole lot of gifts on Christmas Day. In fact, as that wasn't the day of exchanging gifts, Uh, you would have probably worshipped at a mass, maybe a midnight mass on Christmas Eve, and then perhaps even in olden days stayed up late into the night going through the streets and singing. It was a night not to be sleeping, but to be celebrating. And then in the Spanish tradition, they would not really give gifts until January 6th. 12 days later, which is in a church calendar, Epiphany. Epiphany is the time that, among other things, we celebrate and remember these magi who came to see Jesus. Uh, They came, not as the traditional uh, nativity set would have, them there, right there at the stable, but they would come sometime later, uh, having traveled hundreds of of miles to get there, and they would have found Jesus in a house at that point. And they came to worship, and they came bringing gifts. And so, in the Spanish tradition, uh, they would exchange gifts at, at Epiphany. In fact, his children would put their shoes out sometimes on a windowsill, sometimes by the door, sometimes under a Christmas tree. They might even leave straw and water out for the camels along the way. And their expectation was it was the, the, the magi uh, who would be the ones who were bringing the gifts. You might say that uh, these guys were the ones that kind of started this whole gift-giving thing, right? As they came bringing gifts. But we always remember that their gift was in response to a gift they were giving to the wor- gift worth giving to for god so loved the world that he gave the first christmas gift the greatest christmas gift that whosoever whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life And this gift was so profound that these guys traveled hundreds of miles because it was worth the trip to worship and to give a gift to this newborn king. But who exactly were these guys anyway, right? Sometimes we think there's three of them, right? That's the traditional because there's three gifts listed. And sometimes we we sing about we three kings and that sort of thing. But we really don't know that there were three. We don't really have a reason to believe that they were necessarily kings. Uh, they were possibly wise men from Persia whose knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures traces back to the time of Daniel. You remember when the Jewish people were taken off into captivity, particularly uh, Judea taken into captivity in, in Babylon area, and and they would have have taught they would have been aware of uh, the Hebrew scriptures and the prophecy, and so they began to connect some of these dots as they saw this star uh, appear in the sky and regardless of, of all the details of who they are, they do teach us a few things they too teach us a few things about how we should approach Christmas, but particularly the first and the greatest Christmas gift of all, Jesus Christ. I want you to see kind of in contrast their attitude with the attitude of a couple of others that are mentioned in this story. Uh, The first is uh, their attitude was one of expectation, right? They came expectant, right? They're they're willing to travel hundreds of miles at great hardship. It's not like they were traveling in an air conditioned or a heated vehicle, right? With lots of fast food stops along the way. Uh, No, they they, would. It was a difficult uh, journey, but as they they made this trip, because they had an expectation that God had done something, that that, that there was something extraordinary uh, at work here, and it was worth getting in on. It was worth being a part of. And so they were expectant as they came. Well, when Herod heard the news, He wasn't expecting, he was resistant, wasn't he? Uh, The scripture says that Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him because Herod's reputation was such that if he was upset, somebody was going to get hurt, right? Uh, And as you follow the scriptural account, you know that people did get hurt. He was resistant because you see what's good news to one is disrupting to another, because the one who came didn't just come as a cute little babe in Bethlehem's manger that we could all sing sweet songs about, but he came as the king. He came as the one who was uh, reclaiming his throne, as the one who was worthy to be worshiped and served. And this was a threat to Herod. And the reality is that Jesus Christ is still a threat today. He's a threat because he will tolerate no rivals. He's a threat because he is the king. He is the sovereign. He is the one who is worthy of worship and allegiance. And so very often, and we talk about Christ, if you share Christ, there will be people who will be resistant because of the implications of it. you really believe who Jesus is. It will radically change your life. And some folks don't want their life changed in that way, right? And so they'll be resistant. But perhaps the most troubling, confusing response was that of some of the religious leaders. And they just seemed to be indifferent. They seemed to be indifferent. I mean, they, 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 they knew this stuff. And in fact, is when they were consulted, they could say, oh yeah, Bethlehem, this is what the prophets say. It's just like a few miles from here. But none of them appeared to move. They were acquainted with it, they knew it, they knew the prophecies, they knew the story, but it did not impact their life enough to actually even travel a few miles to check out whether God could actually have done this extraordinary thing in their lifetime. And you know, if we're not careful, because we're so familiar with the Christmas story, we can be a little indifferent, can't we? Oh yeah, Bethlehem, star, manger. And, and it doesn't move us. We don't understand. the. Uh, we've been dulled to the impact of what God did in that moment. We want to learn, perhaps a new and a fresh from the Magi this morning. How do we live expect? How do we respond to to this incredible gift? And I want you to to note just five things that that they did. Five things that they did. And and I'm just going to leave you questions along the way. The first question is whether expectant, resistant, or indifferent. Who are you more like right now? Who are you more like right now in the midst of this Christmas season? Do you have an expectation of what God is up to? Do you find yourself resistant to it? are perhaps indifferent to it. Out of their expectation, the Magi did five things, five things that I think you and I can emulate and learn from. The first is, they sought to be in the presence of Jesus. They sought to be in his presence. It was worth traveling. It was worth rearranging their schedule. It was worth reorienting priorities. It was worth the effort and the expense and the energy to get there because they wanted to be in the presence of the greatest gift ever given, the gift of Jesus Christ. And here's what we know. Like any relationship in our life, our relationship with Jesus does not get better or deeper accidentally. It takes desire. It takes effort it means that I choose. I choose as a priority of my life. I choose to figure out ways that, that work with me and my season of life and, and my temperament and all those things to be in the presence of Jesus. And when I come to, a, to the Bible, when I, I want to come and spend time alone with God, it's not just to read the Bible. It's not just to say, I read the Bible because somebody at church or my parents or somebody told me I'm supposed to read the Bible, and so I read the Bible, and I check it all so that I can get through it. No, 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 no. I read the Bible to be with Jesus. I come to the scripture in the anticipation that God who inspired this word God who has preserved this word God who is with me now in the form of the Holy Spirit the same spirit that inspired that word will illuminate that word and speak to my heart and speak to my mind and I come with that expectation I come with that sense of God I desire to be in your presence I desire to to draw near to you today. Prayer is not just sitting in Santa's lap with your wish list, right? (laughs) But it is coming into the presence of the King. It is drawing near to Christ. And please don't mishear what I'm saying. I don't suggest to you for a moment, every time that I read the Bible, every time I pray, it's like, it's not. I mean, it's not. I mean, some days it's like, ah, okay, you know, I showed up, <laughs> I did. But isn't that kind of like true of every relationship? Every relationship in our life. It's not like every moment of every relationship is magical, right? There's there's ebbs and flows, ups and downs. But as you keep showing up, as you keep pressing in, as you keep being in the presence of Jesus. He shapes you. He meets you. But it takes desire. It takes effort. It takes consistency. And so the question out of this is very simple. What efforts are you making to express your desire to spend time in the presence of Jesus? I know this is a crazy season. I know we're all overcommitted But as you think about the last few days, what efforts have you made to spend time in the presence of Jesus? Now, listen, you're here this morning. That's a great start. That's a great start. Uh, but as I, I, I tell folks, you know, uh, most of us aren't going to eat just one meal today and say, That's, I'm good for the week, right? Uh, you know, I don't care how good your Sunday lunch is. It's not going to last for seven days for most of us, right? And so, absolutely. But what can I do to continue to draw near to Him? Second lesson we learn from these man, is they rejoiced in the gift. They rejoiced in the gift as they as they drew into his presence. Verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They had this incredible joy as they understood whose presence they were in. And as I think about that, I think of a story that uh, John Maxwell wrote about. Uh, he, he wrote about a, a woman who was uh, shopping with her daughter, and and they were in the malls and some of the shopping places and it was all of like, it was just one of those days that was stereotypical of every bad thing at Christmas season, right? I mean, it was crowded and it was hard to find a parking spot and and the lines were long and the service seemed slow and they were out of things that you wanted and things seemed to be overpriced and all of these things and and, and the mom was just getting more and more frustrated and, and finally she had this one encounter with this this clerk and she was just really fuming and as she came out of that store she said i'm never going back to that store did you see the look that she gave me her daughter looked at her and said mama she didn't give you that look you had it when you went in <laughs> oh, i don't know what was in her stocking that year <laughs> You know, sometimes life beats us up, doesn't it? And sometimes, and maybe you right here, right now, are feeling like I don't want to sing joy to the world (laughs) because there's a lot of hard things going on. But joy is something we can choose because of who we are and whose we are. In Christ Jesus, it doesn't mean we're happy with all the circumstances of our life. It means that we can choose to live with joy, and a couple things about express joy. It fits your personality. Sometimes when we think, uh, "Well, we're talking about joy," I, I like have to be like this, this, this bubbly, you know, jumping around. I'm so excited, uh, and that. For some of you, we would we look at you and say. What did you, something in your eggnog? I mean, what? you know. I mean, it's just not your personality, right? Joy is not about a personality type. Uh, It's about a heart. It's about our relationship with Christ. It's about trusting in His sovereignty and His love and His power and His work. And the other thing I would just remind you of, it'll fit your personality, it'll be expressed differently through different people, but it really isn't just a, a Christian cliche. And I know sometimes we throw around words very, very loosely, and, and it's, it's not just about, uh, you know, joy, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to have joy. Uh, but it's something we can choose. It's something we can live with. In the Old Testament, the, the prophet Habakkuk was, was struggling. He was struggling understanding what God was doing. He was struggling knowing that a judgment was coming, and yet it, it, it didn't seem like, God, I know we're bad, but it seems like you're using kind of a nation that's even worse to, to judge us along the way. And then the whole book is really kind of the struggle of, in prayer of Habakkuk's short book. And toward the end, he he comes to this point of, of realization. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Those are bad circumstances. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, yet I will rejoice in the lord i will take joy in the god of my salvation (laughs) even when everything around you is falling apart we can choose joy because of the salvation the life that we have in Christ Jesus that which extends beyond the momentary hardship beyond the grave beyond death beyond disease that we have this salvation that cannot be taken away and we can find joy and rejoicing in that and so the question I ask of myself and you today is, how's your joy level this Christmas? Not your happiness level. Maybe there's things in your life you're not real happy about. How's your joy level this Christmas? And then here's one. How are you expressing your joy? And when, would the people that interact with you know that there's a joy? And again, it fits your personality, but let me just ask, you know, does it show in your face? <laughs> you know. I mean, do the people that watch you see a joy? And maybe they see it even radiating in the midst of the most challenging, difficult seasons of your life. They rejoiced in the gift third lesson they gave Jesus the gift of worship they gave Jesus this incredible gift of worship so as they, they come and they're following the star and verse 11 tells us that they're going into the house and they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him when you, when you recognize whose presence you're in, it creates this awe, this worship. They recognize that they were in the presence of someone greater than themselves. Interesting even the way that Matthew uh, puts the terminology here. He talks about they saw, who'd they see first? The child and then Mary, his mother. A lot of times we would say, well, here's the adults and here's the child, but they recognize, even in the language here, they recognize the presence of greatness. They recognized that they were in the presence of someone greater than themselves, someone worthy to be worshipped, someone worthy to be sought. And they came into his presence, and here's here's what you and I have that they didn't have. They, They had to travel hundreds of miles to be in the presence of Christ Jesus. But you and I today, on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, we are living moment by moment in the presence presence of someone greater than ourselves. Is that that not a reason to worship? Is that not a reason to live with joy? Uh, Yes, there are hard things, and yes, there are sad things, but there is one who is worthy of worship, and he said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. So committed is He to you and I living in His presence that He said, when you come to Christ Jesus in faith, He seals us with the Holy Spirit so that every moment of every day, you and I are living in His presence. And because of that, everything we say and everything we do can be worship. We live in worship. Light of His presence. And so as you think about Christmas and busyness, and I know we're going a thousand directions and there's too many commitments to fulfill, but can I just ask you, what can you do to help you view every moment of your life as potential worship before your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Could it be that the conversations you'll have after you leave this room... What, what difference would it make if you begin to see that is I'm having this conversation in the presence of the king. <laughs> the way that you approach your work, the way that you approach uh, interactions with family or friends or, or whoever it may be, what if we begin to, to just think of those as th- this is not just like this is part of my life over here totally separated from God. <laughs> but every moment of every day, I'm lived in, living in his presence. And how I talk and how I act and how I carry out this assignment and how I uh, steward all the things that he's brought to me and given to me and entrusted to me, all those things, I am declaring my understanding of his worth. I am worshiping him in all that I say and do. They gave Jesus the gift of worship. And one practical expression of that gift of worship was they gave him material gifts. They gave him material gifts. And so we have having them coming into this presence. They fall down in worship. Then opening their treasures, something they probably brought, chests of treasures with them. Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we, we have to be careful of, of not reading too much, like there's three gifts, there's necessarily three kings, uh, but many folks see some symbolism in these gifts uh, that there. were was something they were stating whether they knew it or not in giving him these material gifts gold is what you bring to a king You come and you bring gold, and it is a reminder that this babe, this one who has been born, they understand. They understood what that star meant. A king has come, and they're coming with gifts appropriate for a king. And the gold is symbolic of Jesus as the king. The the frankincense would have been part of that which would have been used in the incense before the altar. And it is a reminder that Jesus is the priest, that great high priest who stands between us and God. God, the one who represents us, God. The one whose sacrifice and offering was sufficient for you and I to be forgiven. And because of that, there was also the gift of myrrh, a reminder that Jesus is Savior. And so as you would fast forward to the end of the Gospels, and you would see after the crucifixion of Jesus that they would prepare his body. And one of the things that they would use in the preparation of that body would be myrrh. And it was part of pointing forward to even this adorable baby manger was headed to Calvary's cross. He is our king, He is our priest, He is our Savior. And we celebrate all of that at Christmas time. But on a very practical level, it, it could be that as you, you continue to read the narrative, right after this, they they flee to Egypt. And, and from a very practical level, this may have been even part of God's provision. How does this poor family get to Egypt? How do they sustain themselves? Could it be that God in his sovereignty brought these gifts from hundreds of miles away, delivers them to this family who is displaced in Bethlehem, who is going to be displaced further in Egypt, and he provides for them resources that they can use or sell in a way they would be able to provide for them. And one of the ways that we worship God is we give material gifts because we have been given so very, very much. And so the question that arises out of this is what gift will you give Jesus this Christmas? How will you use your resources to give to Jesus by giving to others? I read a a story a number of years ago uh, from a wife and mother and talked about her husband, Mike. And let me just share with you that story. It's just a small white envelope Stuck among the branches of our Christmas tree. No name, no identification, no inscription. It has peaked through the branches of our tree for the past 10 years or so. It all began because my husband, Mike, hated Christmas. Oh, not the true meaning of Christmas, but the commercial aspects of it. The overspending, the frantic running around at the last minute, the gifts given in desperation or obligation. And knowing that he felt this way... I decided one year to bypass the usual shirts and sweaters and ties and all those things. And I reached for something special, just for Mike. Our son Kevin was wrestling at the junior level at the school he attended. And shortly before Christmas, there was a non-league match against a team sponsored by an inner-city church. These youngsters, dressed in sneakers so ragged that shoestrings seemed to be the only thing holding them together, presented a sharp contrast to our boys in their blue and gold uniforms and sparkling new wrestling shoes. As the match began, I was alarmed to see that the other team was wrestling without even any headgear. It was a luxury the ragtag team obviously could not afford. We ended up walloping them. And as each of their boys got up from the mat, he swaggered around in his tatters with false bravado, a kind of street pride that couldn't acknowledge defeat. Mike shook his head sadly. I wish just one of them could have won. They have a lot of potential, but losing like this would take the heart right out of them. That's when the idea for his present came. That afternoon, I went to the local sporting goods store and bought an assortment of wrestling headgear and shoes and sent them anonymously to the inner city church. On Christmas Eve, I placed an envelope on the tree and the note inside telling Mike what I had done and that this was his gift from me. His smile was the brightest thing about Christmas. And each Christmas, I followed the tradition, one year sending a group of mentally handicapped youngsters to a hockey game, another year giving a check to a a, a pair of elderly brothers whose home had been burned to the ground the week before Christmas, and the envelope eventually became the highlight of our Christmas. It was always the last thing opened on Christmas morning, and our children would stand with wide-eyed anticipation as their dad lifted the envelope from the tree to reveal its contents. As the children grew, the envelope never lost its allure. The story doesn't end there. We lost Mike due to cancer. And when Christmas rolled around that first year, I was so wrapped up in grief that I barely got the tree up. But on Christmas Eve, I placed an envelope on the tree, and in the morning, it was joined by three more. Each of our children had placed an envelope on the tree for their dad. And the tradition has grown and someday will expand even further with our grandchildren standing around the tree with wide-eyed anticipation, watching as their fathers take down the envelopes. Mike's spirit, like the Christmas spirit, will always be with us. They gave. They gave material gifts. And so I ask you and I ask me, what gift will you give Jesus this Christmas? How will you use your resources to give to Jesus by giving to others? Many of you have already been doing that through shoeboxes, through the angel tree and through others. But it may be that even in these last couple of weeks leading up now to Christmas, week and a half, I guess, uh, that God may and pro- present an opportunity to you. It may be even a start of a new tradition, a new gift-giving tradition in your home. They gave him material gifts. Well, one more lesson from the Magi, and that is they gave God the gift of obedience. They gave him the gift of obedience Verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. There come those moments when we we can sing the songs and we can repeat the story and we can set up the the manger scenes and we can do all of those things. Uh, But there comes a point, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. There comes that point where we have to decide, are we going to please self? Are we going to please others? Or are we going to please God? You see, we cannot truly encounter the living Lord Jesus and remain the same. <laughs> you can be religious and remain basically the same, but you cannot have a powerful, real encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, and remain the same. And we give him the gift of obedience. Herod said, when you find him, come back and tell me. And God said, go home another way. And they chose to obey God rather than man they chose to obey the king of kings rather than the earthly king and so perhaps this Christmas season some of us just need to ask what has God clearly told you to do that you're not doing what's that step of obedience It's perhaps crystal clear and you've kept excusing and you've kept rationalizing and you kept saying I can't afford it I don't have time it's not me somebody else would be better what has God clearly told you to do that you are not doing it's been said that in the end while we give to King Jesus as we offer ourselves. We offer ourselves to God and then we do whatever he tells us to do. That's Christmas. That's the appropriate response to the greatest gift of all. Someone said you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Never neglect the privilege of giving back to the one who gave himself for us let's pray to him together oh father how we thank you for that greatest of all christmas gifts christ jesus god in the flesh and that you gave up the glories of heaven to step into this world, to do for us what we could have never done for ourselves. And, and you, are, you are worth all love, all worship, all obedience. And Father, you are worth us being just radical in our giving to you and giving to others in a way to honor you. And so, Father, today, today as we come before you in worship, Lord, would you take familiar words and familiar text And even familiar songs. And would you speak anew and afresh to our hearts. Father in these moments help us not to be resistant. Help us not to be indifferent. But help us to come expecting. To be in your presence. And to be guided by your spirit. And I'm just going to invite you just to.